welcome to Page Parlay. This is the show where we speak to the authors whose work we read on scintillating stories. Today we're chatting to Ellis Jameson and Monica Burns about the Useless Citizens Act. Hello! Hi! <laughs> um, Ellis, you were the author of the Useless Citizens Act and Monica, you were the illustrator. Thank you so much for being here to chat to me today. You're very welcome. I'm very excited. You've got a lovely little setup. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I didn't just run from the house to get it. <laughs> How long have you been writing? Um, for quite a while. I don't know exactly how many years. How many years is it now? Because we've been writing together for so many years. You found a floppy disk with your... Oh god, don't mention the floppy disk. No! No! Children of men these days won't understand what a floppy disk is. Nothing a floppy disk, it's all hard. To be fair, that was my question that age as well. I think my first my first novel was formally put together when I was approximately ten years old. And <laughs> <laughs> has never seen the light of day since. <laughs> so not, not the technology to access. Yes, that's a fortunate <laughs> circumstance right there. That's, what that is. that's a series of fortunate events. <laughs> And you've both have been working together for quite a long time now. Well, we were writing in school and um, it kind of grew from there into little stories and mm. some of the bigger stories and mad crazy worlds and all that sort of thing. So Wonderful. And what led you to writing a dystopian short story? That particular short story was pretty personal. I was going through a very rough time. Um, I had mental health issues going on with depression and anxiety, which the character in the story has, and um, I had applied for a lot of jobs. I was getting absolutely nothing. I was on my last £50 in my bank account going on <laughs> slightly less money than even that in my bank account, and um, that story was helping me to to deal with the fact that I felt like an absolutely useless person and I didn't know what to do about it. I was, I was at a fork in the road mentally and could go one of two very drastic ways. Hmm. So. I think we're, we're all very grateful that you went with the way of writing this lovely story. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, writing the story was the, was the right choice for me. <laughs> it, it came out wonderfully. And Thank you. To me, just as a as a reader or or listener, it's you have a way of capturing the very quiet thoughts that we have to ourselves and the way we speak to ourselves in our own heads. You do that really well. I feel, I feel like that's how I feel. Thank you. Why well, do you speak to myself a lot? So <laughs> I should have that down by now. <laughs> um, Mon, I saw the illustration you made for it. It was fantastic. Um. It was uh, two the two nurses, just their mouths, mm. shouting into the keyhole. Uh, how did you decide to to draw that? Um, I think because that was the kind of that's the crux of the story is like the the point that's the point between the protagonist and the people outside is well I imagine it to be a keyhole. I can't remember yeah. the answer, but yeah, I think that you do describe them being shouting through the, the keyhole, yeah. blowing um, through the keyhole. At one yeah. Point. Uh-huh. So that's the kind of bridge between these two people, and they wouldn't get 
if I just drew her within the coverage, you wouldn't see the context and mm -hmm. you wouldn't get this. And that's the, the crucial point is it is the two sides of the door. And mm -hmm. um, I swithered with um, drawing her within the keyhole kind of thing. So you can see right through where the perspective is all off. The mm -hmm. perspective's a bit off anyway, I should point that out, but she's stylized. She's talking badly about herself, quick! <laughs> Get the doctor! <laughs> you are not useless! <laughs> you are not a useless citizen! <laughs> I could to be not useless at that point, because that um, I was determined to do the illustration for Ellis's story because mm. I was. Um, uh, at that point, editor within Shoreline Infinity, the magazine, mm -hmm. and I was determined that I should illustrate Ellis's things. I was an illustrator for it as well, but like I was already doing a bunch of stuff for that issue anyway. I'd written an article of my own as well, mm -hmm. like within that issue, um, and I was doing editing, and I also had my master's dissertation to do at the same time. God. I was determined to get the illustration for Ellis's story because I'd be like, oh, and then you're published and I'm doing the illustration for it. Or like, you know, names will appear mm -hmm. side by side. So I'm like, did it, I don't even remember doing it. <laughs> After that, I was really chuffed with how it turned out. And then I noticed how massive the keyhole was. And I was like, stylized. It's the future. Yeah. It's fine. The yeah. keys could be massive. Yeah. <laughs> They're compensating for something. <laughs> to be fair, I did have it set in 2107 mm -hmm. and I still presumed there would be keyholes in those days. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like swipe pads or like yeah. retina scanners, she can't you can't yell through a retina no, scanner. I so I had to yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a license taken with the future right there. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally fine. Yeah. Listen, I imagine I hope that the future focuses on things like curing cancer, not I wonder if we should get rid of keys. <laughs> I really loved your drawings though. Like I loved it anyway that you were able to do that, but like the way you did it and the, the choice for me, like, you captured the pressure that she was feeling mm -hmm. in that picture. And I was down to the writing though, because I, I sometimes struggle with illustrations um, if the story hasn't grabbed me. The art director, um, Mark, is really good at uh, pairing people up with the stories that they've enjoyed um, so that they you know, uh, can see that this person, because it's we team of artists, and. Mm. can see them judging by their previous work what kinds of things they like to draw that match them up with stories that they like um, and I actually don't think um, I requested to illustrate yours I'm pretty sure I just got given it which is quite telling that mm. you know, oh, how we, we gel together I think you just assigned me your story and um, yeah no, like I, I can't draw something if I, that I'm not inspired by and I remember like I did the, the two faces, the nurses' um, faces, in the first sketch. That's the thing, like, even though they are comparatively on on page for a short amount of time, they immediately had a presence, they were distinct characters, which yeah. I think is another talent of yours, to Im <laughs> just imbue yeah. character into small amounts of time. That line you said, of, um, that he sounds like he's the, the kind of guy to iron in the creases in his trousers. Yes! <laughs> Those were characters literally in my head because I think I discussed with you before certainly that um, both the nurses and the doc, like you can view the story two ways and one is take it literally but the other is what was actually happening for me personally as the author in terms of my depression and anxiety in that story the way I wrote it 
for me, not necessarily for the readers, um, the doctor was depression and the nurses were my anxiety mm-hmm. and that was how they would speak to me inside my head. So again, coming back to the illustration, mm-hmm. seeing that pressure in the picture of shouting through the keyhole um, and that really intense snapshot of I am this dark little space and you are bearing over me and shouting at me and I can't control it and it's it's overwhelming mm-hmm. it was exactly what I was feeling and how I got the characters out mm-hmm. so it worked really well and I'm very grateful that you were put with me yes. to illustrate it <laughs> you understand you understand my angst <laughs> piece I remember the first time I read it I think I cried and I don't uh, this is gonna sound like I'm bragging I don't cry I think no I, I do cry at certain things old people dying that's a big one um, <laughs> to be clear that's that's pretty hard going <laughs> yeah brave self-sacrifice but there was something about this this um very visceral raw emotion but contained in clever wordplay there was something about that duality that mix which I think pressed my buttons of brave face and I just I think I think I did cry the, when I first heard that. I'm both simultaneously sad and happy to hear that. <laughs> it was a good cry. It was a good cry. As long as it's cathartic for someone. <laughs> I love the um how the, the, the cynical bitterness at the end of her life, like or what you'll kill me. Like, yes, um, and then like being this close to death really changes your perspective on how what, what you need to do. Like apparently, I needed to eat five fruit and veg a day. Like, <laughs> just that kind of like, I, I relate to that so much. Not that I've ever been in that situation, but just that kind of like, oh fuck it, some bitterness of like yeah. a really bad situation and kind of gallows humor. Like, oh yeah, semi literally in this case. <laughs> Everybody has a line. I call it the fuck it line, where you've just had enough, uh-huh. and that's it. And you either have to keel over, yeah. or something bad's gonna happen because you can't keep going. Or you change so, direction. Or you yeah. change direction, mm-hmm. definitely. Is that shift in attitude there, like seeing the ridiculous? Like that, you know, and her being like, you'll miss your appointments. I was trying so hard not to laugh during the recording. (laughs) (laughs) I think you looked over and you just saw me And I've met people like that, the kind of people who would be like, oh, but the the, the most important thing is this. It's the appointment. It's the little nitty bitty. It's like admin. Like management. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was very... I'm not going to say true to life, but <laughs> but it, I think there are snippets of reality. But then again, that I guess that brings in questions of death of the author. It's kind of because, like I said earlier, like I was going through applying for lots of jobs, getting no luck, um, and they were really, you know, they were jobs that I viewed as, you know, they were simple enough jobs. I could get them done. I could do them. I could, you know, they were. Qualified for I was qualified for them, I had experience in that and I was just getting no nowhere with them and I didn't know what it was because the process is so clinical. It's like you apply, you don't see anyone face to face and you get a computer response back of nope and it was that clinicalness that stuck with me and the fact that it has, it's so distant from reality. You don't get past that unless you can fit into it. And it I love that you just named her as well because often in like these dystopia things it's like 
from the the high commissioner blah, 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 and it's all very depersonalized but actually the scare the just the fact that he named her lisa cobb was a really ordinary name made it scarier Scary. because like, you could imagine this lisa cobb admin person sending out this death warrant and not not <laughs> yes. even but uh-huh. treating it like she was sending oh your taxes are late yeah you know? uh-huh. yeah so a wee slap in the wrist kind of email reminder to someone but it's actually like we will, you will be sent your expiration date. That Marxian idea of we are nothing but fuel to the system and when we are done with our usefulness, the system will discard us mm. and we will be broken and have no identity left. Mm. It re- I think, if anything, this is very much a Marxist dystopia for me. Yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, obviously, but this idea of being chewed up and spat out. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm not educated enough to comment on that, but I will accept your praise. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And the, I think the best dystopia does come from commentary on aspects of current life. Yeah. And I think this I think this does comment on a way that people of our generation and age feel going out into the workplace. We've spent so much money on university, on training ourselves, on getting yeah. ourselves to a place because the world told us that was what we had to do. And then when it's over, there's no employment. And there's that feeling of, am I really that useless? Yeah, because you put in all this investment in your use, like your future use, and then it turns out you spat out the other end and you're useless. And you're like, well, what was all that for? Mm-hmm. And especially at the moment, like, I know this is probably a, a cliche to say, like, especially now with COVID happening, people have been made redundant mm-hmm. with this. And a lot of people have been sitting around feeling useless and feeling trapped and stuck and not knowing which direction their life is going to take them in next mm. and having no control over it. So I'm glad you're putting it out there again now. Yeah, <laughs> that's good timing. Do you, uh, and not just in this story, but also relevant to this story, uh, how, how do you research your writing? When, you, when you're going in to write about a topic, uh, do, you, do you do much research? Uh, it depends what the topic is. Um, I'm more of a fan of fantasy elements than reality. I've written too many essays in <laughs> university to, um, to delve much into reality with any comfort that I'll be right, because studying history and it, it's taught me that no matter what I write it will be wrong. <laughs> um, so for me, for research, I am... Um, I'm all in favour of the old saying, write what you know, and if I'm mm-hmm. trying to write something that's very specific, I will google up the odd bits and pieces to make sure I'm, I'm okay with it but for the most part I'm, I much prefer the expression experience what you imagine. We came up with that in the car on a drive one day when we were talking about the fact that life would be so boring if people just wrote what their life is instead of what it could be or you know, took their life and yeah, all entertainment ever would just be autobiographies if everyone took the example of write what you know. Like, not everyone's life is that interesting. Like, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mate. Yeah, but like you did there, like mm-hmm. you took an element of what you know, like your experience, mm-hmm. but then made it into an imaginative piece. Yeah, and, and it's a very mundane subject. I'm sure more people have been in similar situations that have been more extreme than mine was. But in that moment for me, it was very extreme and so I took what I knew and then rewrote it as experience what I imagine it to actually be. 
what so. I really liked about that story as well is that um, you take it at face value, it's a sci-fi, but then with the inclusion of the flashbacks, you actually can rethink it and go, is this a sci-fi or is this a real story with this sci-fi element just being in her head? Yeah. And it's symbolic of her depression and anxiety attacking mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. because it's the husband going like, you're not useless. Either that's just omitting the reality that they live in, he's not referencing it at the time, you know, he's not saying, you're not useless, and don't worry, you won't get killed, <laughs> actually, like, because he already knows that's already in his world, and yeah. he's just reassuring her, it's not relevant in that moment to mention it, or not appropriate, because it'd be... That'd be a weird that. thing to yeah. say to your wife, like, don't uh, worry, honey, I'm sure you won't die. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, if you're looking for it, the implications there, or it's completely absent, and that world isn't shared by him, Mm-hmm. in those flashbacks and it's, that could just all be going on in your head in yeah. a symbolic way I really like that because there's two ways to read it and you can choose which Yeah, it was designed that way but for me personally I think I said earlier actually when we were talking about I definitely designed it with the um, the idea that it's all going on in her head and this is just her way of coping with her own mental illness that's happening and originally in the end um, I took it out when the editor from Shoreline yeah. kind of suggested to take it out but originally I had it very explicit at the end that what she was doing was drowning in that bath mm-hmm. um, as well. So you've got the death by doctor in the in the mm-hmm. surgery and then you've got her own death in the bath and they're, they're, they're one and the same thing. Yeah. But it works better when it, it's more ambiguous. Oh, it's, it's kind of chilly at the end like because you, you're <laughs> in the... Kind of. It's very chilly. Yeah. But when you're in the head of somebody that is dying... And they know they're. Di- I think that's a lot of people's worst nightmare. Yeah. Is knowing that you're, yeah. knowing that you are going to die in in the moment. Yeah. yeah. I love the favorite bit about the story is the Schrodinger's cat. Ah, oh, yeah. Bit, like that she's in the cupboard, both dead and alive at the same time, and also there's a double meaning of wordplay on the, uh, to find them already dead, dead inside, inside. Mm-hmm. Mm. dead inside the cupboard or dead inside. It's very good. Thank you. It's very good. I love that this is just basically turned from interview into a compliment <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Talking of interviews, I guess, do you think your work had any messages to give? Past what we've already discussed, honestly, the main message of the thing was to myself. It was a way for me to process my own mental health crisis that I was going through and get past it and not that I would ever dare to suggest that anyone else should hear this story and be made well again but um, (laughs) you know I think if anyone were to read or listen to this they might understand the power that comes from actually putting out on paper mm. what their problems are and taking it and distancing themselves from it to look at it from another perspective and that would be my preferred message not necessarily what's actually in the story but mm. just that actually taking a step back can save your life because it did for me yeah i think that's um, i think even though it was a message for yourself i think other people with struggling times mental health problems or just like have a really bad time could read this and think well I am in a position where I can make that choice I can either decide which way I go and I think that this one it doesn't make her she's fighting this in the story and I think that's a very positive thing in that 
it makes you want to fight for her. And, you know, and I think that could help you look at, at your own problems and go, well, I need to fight for me as well. I'm being very personal about this. I swear, not everything I write is actually about me. It just happens. <laughs> this, this one was quite personal. <laughs> this is a personal one, but like... Thank you for being so honest. No, that's okay. When I was writing it, and I took those characters, and I put them into the story, and then I took myself out of my own head as Reggie and put her into the story, it added that extra layer of distance and so I could see like you know, like you said she's fighting the whole way through the, the story yeah. but she still fails so I could take the failure and put it over there mm. and go right now I'm going to try again yeah. and win the second time mm. with it so uh, again what I was saying earlier about like what message is that's the message that you've, you've got the power to start again whether you believe it or not and um, you just need to find the right method I mean writing's not for everyone but okay. it's a method that I found <laughs> Storytelling has been connected to being able to process difficult emotions and reprocess them. If you're traumatized and you tell the story, perform the story in a way that maybe doesn't necessarily use words, sometimes it does, it can help you fully process the emotions that you didn't get to process the first time. And I think maybe I think for instance Stephen King writing about scary clowns. He wrote about that because he was scared of scary clowns, mm -hmm. and then he was something. Oh, it's externalized. I don't have to fear that anymore. And you know, it, it was a way of therapy. So writing can be a way of therapy yeah. if it's right. Ask your doctor if writing therapy is right for you. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a good way to go. Mm -hmm. Both of both of you can answer this question as you're both incredible writers and talented and wonderful and I love you. Um, <laughs> Marry me! <laughs> what do you think are some ingredients to a good story? I think um, character. Definitely. Like that's what I was yeah. going to say. That's <laughs> the main thing. Yeah, that's the main thing. So you have, if you come at a story from the point of view of this is going to be a great story, you're shoving a message down someone's throat really. But the character, you can have such a good character and you won't even notice the message because you're so invested in the character. Because people people are inherently uh, nosy. <laughs> like, people are inherently nosy. That's me. Sorry again. <laughs> <laughs> like, people, like, all our entertainment is really about how other people live. We're, we really want to know about other people and how other people think and live. And that's novels, movies, like, soap operas. That's just about people's lives. Mm -hmm. There's not no, like, great imaginative feats in those. Mm. It's all about characters because we actually want to know what people think and stuff. So if you don't have that then you've just got a, like a cardboard avatar in a great story technically mm. that's where mary sue's coming to yeah uh, when yeah. the universe bends around the sue yeah yes. characters experience a plot a plot experiences a mary sue <laughs> <laughs> so if you had an actual good character then that wouldn't you avoid a sue yeah um it's like again i'm, I'm going to be really self referential here and a bit up myself. No, you're allowed. But, like, with that story, she sat in a cupboard and she sat in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> she sat in a cupboard on top of a mop bucket and she sat on a chair. But it feels yeah. like so much more. I know, but that's the thing. Like, it was about the character. It wasn't like, I barely described any of the setting, but, like, you know, the odd, yeah. odd bits, bit, like, you know, some people can describe settings and it's wonderful. And settings are important, mm -hmm. 
But they should be to progress the character. Like, yeah, f- um, settings should be seen through the lens of a character, not just, there was a dusty shelf. Um, the way Reggie's seeing the dusty shelf is as the light is thrown on and that's what she notices in those moments. And, like, and the, the spiders scurrying uh-huh, into the that, corners. And that all informs her character and the... What the she action. chooses to notice. Exactly, well. what she chooses to notice, because not everyone will notice the same things. And this is what irks me in some books where you get multiple character points of view, but each of them are written the exact same way. Because... Everyone's brain works differently. Everyone notices different things. Uh-huh. Yet the author is all the one brain thing. Um, but but the author can exaggerate different bits. Yeah, but a lot of authors don't. Somebody actually. might be enjoying a lovely picnic. Yeah. And just because this serious thing has happened doesn't mean they're actually aware of it. So they wouldn't notice yeah. the gloomy clouds in the sky. They might be focused on how green the grass is. Yeah. And how pretty the flowers are coming out, even though it's a bit chilly today. Yeah. You know, it's the the individual. Uh-huh. points of view yeah, and the characters and three, get three people in a garden um, on a, a mixed weather kind of day it kind of sounds like you're talking about us <laughs> <laughs> we're oh no we're in a terrible book We all like if you put the three of us out in the garden we would not all notice the same things we would not all be thinking the same things even if we all look like we're talking we're all in the same mood or whatever like you just don't know like that that's where the interest lies in writing is the individual characters and what they see how they perceive the world what they like are picking up on not just the shelves were dusty the room was quiet mm. yeah i don't overly like don't get me wrong a lovely description can be beautiful very poetic very um, good but unless it gets me on a personal and emotional level I don't care about it I've seen millions of trees you don't need to describe <laughs> them in great detail I've, I've seen what a castle looks like if I really want to I can look it up in a photograph but it's the emotion you get from describing it that comes into it like you know I think that's the thing that takes writing to the next level like so you're taught like how to describe something pretty but like not how to apply it to a character why is that important to that character why is that tree it is the the reason she noticed that tree is because she's in this frame of mind and her mother vomited (laughs) (laughs) you can write about anything just about anything if you have a good character with a good like mental processes and interaction with the outside world and interaction with the inner world inside their head mm. and it can be about literally anything that's what like the, the beauty of short stories as well is that the short stories want you to explore things like that because you don't have the room to go off and describe epic quests so it has to be emotional yeah uh-huh. and it, like it doesn't even need when we're saying character not us talking about Betty Jones from Ullapool. Like, you don't need a character that is human, that is an actual person. Like, I could, in theory, I'm saying this, I'm not actually going to do it right here, but <laughs> right from the point of view of this cupboard that's sitting next to us, this beautiful wardrobe that's a slightly oriental kind of mm. motif going on here, and just like, I could be that cupboard describing what I'm seeing out of that window mm. as long as you get the personality of the cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested. Ironically enough, another story that was on scintillating stories was 
about a piece of antique furniture. <laughs> there you go. You don't need an actual human being character as long as you've got the personality in the thing that is speaking to the reader. Yeah. And thus furries were born. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> you have to do an after hours dark show. <laughs> it's just grunting noises. <laughs> Uh, on a more academic to- topic, um, do you two have any tips for aspiring writers or young writers or experienced writers who just want advice? To be honest, I'm still in that category. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great, then you can talk from experience. <laughs> so, um, as as much as I would like to offer advice, I don't feel honestly qualified right now. To, like, I'm very lucky I've had bits and pieces published mm here and there and that was my best piece. My advice feels limited because everything I've learned, I've learned from mom more or less because we've been writing for so long. The biggest one I always hear is um, read, read and read. Mm -hmm. I agree to an extent. Um, because to be a writer you do need to read but you need to do more than that you need to analyse what you're reading because I hate the term read everything you can get your hands on so what, read any shit lying about read Daniel Steele novels read like, you know, pamphlets lying around read Dickens, read, you know, like, read everything yes, but why? how is that useful unless you actually have the tools to go, why is this book good? Mm-hmm. What is it that makes this writing really come alive? What is it that makes why it Why am I interested in it? Uh huh. Well, yeah, why personally am I interested in this? Like, what well, and... bits can you pick out mm-hmm. to to take and put in your writing? That's not necessarily quote for quote, no. which is like, what techniques is the writer using that's helping me to stay interested in this story? Like, yeah. yeah, you have to think about it. You can't just read and go, okay, that was something and move on. Uh-huh. Like, there's no point in that. No, just like endlessly read and not take it in and uh-huh. I don't mean take in the story but take in the, the why and the analyse it and I think that's where like I think that's very quite a limited advice from people to say read as a writer read and think about what you've read and why and yeah. then then start to up your game and don't continue to read shit once you've learned the lessons yeah. from shit. I would also extend that to like while the reading is important almost the reading is definitely important, I'm not going to say more so, but thinking is integral to it and the ability to process. And it's not just about thinking about the writing and how the writing is good, but thinking about what is inspiring you outside of that, what is making you feel something, because people are interested in each other's feelings. Like you said, we're inherently nosy. So capturing something within yourself that you think others would be interesting is a key talent. And actually, when we get writer's block, the writing is the easy bit. Yeah. You're just translating what's in your head and putting it on paper. And if you don't get the right words right away, that's fine. It's a first draft. Do a second draft. Do a rewrite. Yeah. Like, completely scrap it, overhaul it, and do it again. Sometimes you what, won't just put a bullet point. Is it, I'm exactly. going to say something about this here. Move on. Exactly. Yeah. But what you're actually lacking is inspiration. That's the key. And until you can learn to think critically about what you're experiencing in life and what you want to experience Mm. and then take that and build that into your imagination you won't be able to write Mm -hmm. so writer's block it's not writing that's being blocked it's your imagination and that's where the thinking critically and reading comes in Mm -hmm. read think critically go out and experience the world Mm -hmm. 
imagine what you want to write about, go out and experience it, and then write about it, and you won't get the writer's block mm -hmm. yeah. as much. Yeah. <laughs> don't quote me on that. If you get writer's block, it's not my fault. <laughs> Please don't email me saying, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, those were some absolutely excellent points. Um, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Uh, do you have anything that you would like to close off with? Thank you so much for having us both. Yes. I love this little chat. Oh. This is so nice. Rosie has um, allowed us to come in and have cups of tea <laughs> and cake. And it's been wonderful sitting inside a beautiful little summer house in a garden that belongs in a fairy tale. <laughs> and it's been wonderful, so thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for listening. You can see Monica's illustrations at monicaburns underscore art on Instagram. You can read Ellis's story in issue 9 of Shoreline of Infinity. This has been a Yorick Radio production. <laughs>